too, want to welcome you this morning uh, to Alliance Bible Fellowship and wish you a very special Happy Father's Day. You know, every month of the year um, actually has some special commemoration. Uh, of course, with, with only 12 months, most months have been claimed more than once. For example, while January is National Mentoring Month, February is both American Heart Month and Black History Month. March, as you would expect, is um, Irish American Heritage Month and National Women's History Month. Now hold on to your feet, uh, on your seats, because April is National Poetry Month and National School Library Month. Calm down. May is National Bike Month and National Pet Month. And June is Adopt-A-Cat Month, which means in the foyer on your way out today. <laughs> July is French-American Heritage Month. It was amazing to me the number of, actually uh, most of these months have some kind of national heritage thing going on. August is National Immunization Awareness Month. September is National Honey Month. October is National Work and Family Month and National Book Month. November is also known as Movember or Mustache Month, now known to many as No Shave November. And December is, well, nothing, according to Wikipedia and other sources. Of course, within those months, uh, many days have also been claimed, even named special by some presidential decree. I, I will not go through all of them, but consider, you know, like January 1st this is New Year's Day, third Monday of February is President's Day, and February 22nd is Thinking Day. I, I guess as opposed to the other 364 days. I'm going to mark that day down and think. Most of us know March 17th as St. Patrick's Day. You should, however, know that it is the anniversary of my first date with my wife. No, we can remember because it was St. Patty's Day, yeah. Cost me 11 bucks. I'm serious, 11 bucks that I had to borrow from my parents. I'm not kidding. Um, hey, April 1st is April Fool's Day. And April 22nd is Earth Day. Second Sunday of May is always Mother's Day, while the last Monday of May is uh, Memorial Day. June 14th, just a couple of days ago, I found this. It's Flag Day, Blood Donors Day, and actually on the news, National Bourbon Day. Uh, of course, the third Sunday of, uh, of June today is also Father's Day. Uh, July 4th, Independence Day. August 5th is Friendship Day. If you don't have one, you may want to mark that day down. Um, first Monday of September, Labor Day, October 31st is Halloween, but really for us as followers of Christ, much more importantly, it is Reformation Day. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's important. November 14th, Veterans Day, fourth Thursday in November, Thanksgiving Day, and of course, December 25th, Christmas Day. All of that um, to remind us that today is one of those special hallmark holidays, Father's Day. It really is a special day to appropriately remember and honor our fathers. It's always interesting to me, though, to see the articles and advertisements that appear in various media outlets in the weeks leading up to one of those special Hallmark um, days. For example, just last 
Friday, again, two days ago on the Fox News website, you can find an article where the Duck Dynasty men gave Father's Day advice. And then, and then also another link gave idea for practical Father's Day techno gifts. Another article talked about famous fathers and daughters. A little disappointed I wasn't on that list. Another link listed the 21 best dad movies ever. Don't, don't bother. I, I wouldn't watch any of them either. Another answered the question, another link answered the question, are American fathers wimps? I thought that one was kind of interesting. I mean, what is it that qualifies a father to be a wimp? So I clicked on the link, and the video never answered the question. And, and so, as we finished Philippians last week, I thought, hey, today is Father's Day. I think I'll seek to answer the question. I'm going to spend some time talking, especially to men today, because I don't want you to be wimps. Now, there are two qualifications about that. First, ladies. Ladies, listen up. There is no reason to tune out. This is what you can expect from your fathers, your husbands, your future husbands, your sons. Which means the second qualification is, men, you need to take notes because your wife will be. And men, listen, this is not national take them out to the woodshed day. I have no interest in beating us up. I do, however, want to challenge us not to be wimps, but to be godly men, whether we are fathers or sons or both. I'm talking to men today. Now, when I say not wimps, I am not going to challenge you to read like wild at heart. In fact, I'd probably tell you not to. I'm not going to tell you to do MMA. That's mixed martial arts, ladies. MMA with your boys. I'm going to challenge you to be godly men by being godly leaders, husbands and fathers in your homes. So you can turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul wrote three letters that we have yet to study, or they're coming up very soon, called the pastoral epistles. They are 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Uh, Timothy and Titus were young pastors, so Paul writes to them about how to structure the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says, listen, Timothy, I'm coming to see you, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. The interesting words, in the household of God, which is the church. So, so these pastoral epistles are actually kind of church manuals. He tells us how the household of God called the church should be structured. And in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, he talks about leaders in the church called elders. Now, I'm going to wait until we get to 1 Timothy in a few months to talk specifically about elders, but for now, I, I want you to understand that he is giving these qualifications for elders. And, and you should know, we're going to read it in just a second, it is an overwhelming, rather imposing list of qualifications. I mean, talk about being taken out to the woodshed. But, but, but now, men, now listen, don't check out just because you're not an elder. You're not off the hook just because you're not a leader in this household. 
Because this list of qualifications is, give, is given not only, I believe, for elders in the household of God called the church, but it can be appropriately applied in your household, in your homes, as you seek to lead your wives and your children. I'm going to suggest this morning that you should be pursuing these qualities. In fact, a pastor named Gene Getz, who was the founder of the Fellowship Bible Church movement, um, once wrote a book called The Measure of a Man and used 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as his texts. And he, in his introduction to the book, he actually calls uh, this list the profile for Christian maturity. So if you want to be a mature man, if you want to be a godly leader in your household, in your home, then measure yourself he says, by these qualifications, I agree. So you with me? So with that in mind, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that's like bishop or, or um, uh, elder or pastor, it is a very fine work he desires to do. An overseer then, and here comes the qualifications, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. If man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must be a, have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. That is an overwhelming list. Anybody feeling pretty good about that list as we read? Any men feeling pretty? Because if you are, I'll just step aside. You can take my notes. This is challenging. Leadership is not an easy job, whether it's at work or in the church or in your homes. Leading is tough. Now, I'm saying leading. I am not talking about being the boss. The difference between being a leader and a boss, I think, is depicted well in this picture. It was President Teddy Roosevelt, who knew something about leading, you know, charge up San Juan Hill, all that stuff, who said the leader leads, the boss drives. And some of you have felt driven or bossed around by your fathers or your husbands, and that is not what I'm talking about today. Godly leaders, godly fathers set the example by pursuing these qualities. Again, I'm going to save the office of elder for our time in 1 Timothy. So let's look at verses 2 to 7 to see the qualifications. Now, you just need to know, as I got about halfway through last service, I thought, wow, I bit off more than I could chew. My prayer for us this morning as we jump through these, as we look through these, men, listen, is that you'll be able to see some things that you know you need to apply to your life. Some of them are rather straightforward. Others, frankly, involve quite a bit of controversy, which I'll do later. 
I'm going to divide this list into the following four categories for ease of study. It means we're not going to necessarily go through them in order, but in these four categories. We're going to look at personal qualifications, family life qualifications, community life, and Christian life or Christian qualification. What I mean by that are qualifications that relates to the faith. So let's start with personal qualifications, all right? The godly man... The godly father and husband must be first above reproach. Now, some suggest that this is an umbrella statement, that we should seek to be above reproach in all of these qualifications which follow, that no one should ever have to wonder, because we're above reproach, whether we are temperate, prudent, respectable, and stuff like that. I think that makes sense. The one who is above reproach has a good reputation as it relates to all of these qualities. But now listen, men, men, we should seek to be above reproach. The word literally speaks of one who cannot be laid hold of, who gives no basis for an accusation. You don't do anything that gives cause for others to look at you and question your integrity, your faithfulness, your morality, or your holiness. Let me say that again. You don't give anything to anyone, any cause for pause about your, in, uh, your integrity, your faithfulness, your morality, or your holiness. I'm going to suggest that if we are above reproach men, we don't see how close to the line we can live. We see how far away from the line we can live. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking of slander. Godly men will be slandered. Paul was often slandered. But slander, you see, is saying something about someone that is not true. To be above reproach is never to give even a hint of something that is true that can be said. Now, when I think of someone who is above reproach, I think of Daniel, the guy in the Old Testament, Daniel. You remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Most of us learned that from the time we were in Sunday school. We know that when he was thrown into a hungry den of lions, that the lions didn't eat him. Oh boy, good story. Most of us have no idea what the story is about and what got him thrown into the lion's den to begin with. You see, Daniel was living in the capital city of the, of the Persian Empire at this time. And, and he had so distinguished himself in his leadership that the king, King Darius, had decided to set him over the entire kingdom. I'm going to elevate this guy, kind of be prime minister. Well, Daniel was a Jew, a foreigner, and this did not set well with the local guys. The other leaders, the, the governors and rulers and satraps, they were called. So they, quote, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. They began looking out, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Could you imagine if that could be said about our politicians? They kept a careful watch on his life and his conduct. They spied on him, and they could find no negligence nor corruption. That is, they couldn't find him 
not doing what he was supposed to do, nor could they find him doing what he was not supposed to do. He was, in short, above reproach. Amazing. How, how, how would you do if people followed you around, spied on you for the next week? Now, then comes the rest of the story leading to the lion's den. They watched him closely. They discovered he was deeply and passionately committed to God, the God of the Jews. So they said, if we're going to find any accusation against him, it's going to have to do with his faith. So they came up with this very devious plan. They went to King Darius, who was seen as a deity. Remember, the kings at that time were seen as, as deities. And they said, Darius, we think you're so divine that you should issue a decree that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays or worships should only pray to and worship you. I, I think they should have called it a God for a month program. Of course, they, they knew that Daniel, because they'd watched they knew that Daniel prayed three times a day. So Darius issued the decree, Daniel prayed, Daniel was thrown to lion's den, Daniel delivered, end of story. The point of the story is Daniel was above reproach. Who cares about shutting the mouths of lions? Even when they tried, they could find no basis for charge against him. Men, we should seek to have our lives and conduct so full of integrity and faithfulness and morality and holiness that no basis of charge can be brought against us in our jobs, in our communities, in our homes, and in our churches. And notice the very first word is integrity. And that word integrity is not a Greek word. It's actually a Latin word. Um, and, it, and it speaks of this. It speaks integrity means that every area of your life touches. Every area of your life is the same. It, the opposite of integrity is duplicity or hypocrisy. To be a man of integrity means, now listen to me, it means that you're the same person at work as you are at church, as you are in the community, as you are at home. No difference. That's integrity. Let me give you a personal example of this pursuing, uh, of this trying to be above reproach. We have, a we have a policy at our church, and I know that Samaritan's Purse has it as well, that a person on staff cannot be in alone in a car with the opposite gender. A pastor cannot be in a car alone with another woman. Because we want to be above reproach. We don't want anyone to see us as we're out driving around and say, hey, what was Scott doing alone in the car with her? So, about 10 o'clock in the evening, several years ago, our home phone rang. It was a lady from our church. I won't mention her by name, still goes here. She was at Walmart and her car would not start. Her husband was home with the children. I think his car was in the shop as I recall the story. She was calling our home to see if my wife could come take her home. Tana had already gone to bed, was asleep. I didn't want to wake her up. So I said, it's only around the corner. I I'll come, I I'll come get you. When I got there, 
pulled up right there, this Walmart right here, pulled right in front of Walmart, never said a word. She, she jumped into the back seat. She was on the phone with her husband all the way home on purpose so that if anyone saw us during that five-minute ride, we could say, she was in the back seat. I took her directly home. She was on the phone with her husband all the way there. I so appreciated that. And you say, that's so silly. No, that is above reproach. And I'm very serious about it. Second, and they won't all be as long. To be, uh, in addition to being above reproach, I am to be temperate. And when you hear that word, you may think of the temperance temperance society from American history. Uh, That was a movement of local chapters across the U.S. where those local clubs would take an oath of abstinence from alcoholic beverages. Paul will address that issue later. That's not the idea here. To be temperate means to exercise moderation and self-restraint. It means to be, this is a key word, by the way, in the Christian life, it means to be balanced, not given to excess in any area of life. To be temperate, if you're taking notes, write this down. To be temperate, I believe, is to be appropriately committed in a balanced way to the various priorities in your life. It is to be balanced in an appropriate way to the various priorities in your life. Let me give you an example that I think might let some of you men off the hook. Every once in a while, you will hear some well-intentioned pastor or maybe a Christian speaker say something like this. You need, you need to have the following priority structure. You need to be committed to God first, then the family, then the church, then your job, right? How many of you heard that before? Right? Yeah, that's fairly, fairly common. The problem with that is that it is nowhere to be found in the Bible, I think rather the Bible addresses the priorities of life with balance or temperance, not given to excess. I prefer to see the uh, life's priorities in this way. I had Steve Colley make this um, uh, the, the, this uh, diagram for us so that we can understand this. I w- will note that it's like a bicycle wheel for my bicycle riding brothers. Notice in this diagram, Christ is the center. He's the hub of life. He is at the center of life, and everything in life is intentionally connected to him. Each spoke represents a different facet or priority or focus of life, which leads out to that circle, I won't call it the circle of life, some of you would be gone, um, to to the wheel of life where we live. So in this diagram, let me ask you a question. What is the priority? Well, well, no, is that a question? Of course, Christ is. He's the center around which all of life is connected. And by the way, I would also point out that he is, as as the hub, he's the source of power for life. It's where the power comes from, physics there. But now look at those different facets, those different priorities of life. What is the priority? I'm going to suggest... Ooh, what happened there? Okay, I'm good. I'm going to suggest... What, can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm really I'm echoing there. Okay, because then I can't yell. 
I'm going to suggest that, that, that the priority is whatever spoke is touching the ground at the moment. Whatever part of the, of the circle is touching the ground at the moment. In this particular diagram, it is family. Then when you are with your family, that is the priority. And when I'm at work, work is the priority. And when I'm running or lifting weights, weights then that is the priority. In other words... Colossians, whatever I do, I do with all of my might as unto the Lord. That, I want to suggest, is being temperate, being balanced. Wherever I am at the moment, I am giving 100% of of who I am because it is Christ who I am serving. Third is to be prudent. This speaks of being Self-controlled, serious, or sensible. Serious. Godly men, we need to be prudent. We need more of that in a society that seeks only fun times, humor, and flippancy. And that, unfortunately, has invaded the church. And many churches you go to across our nation today are nothing but entertainment. We need more of the gravity and reality of life. Brothers, life is serious, and it requires that we be sensible and self-controlled. Fourth, we're moving more quickly now, is to be respectable. This speaks of decency, of modesty, of being in order. It's the same word that Paul used in chapter 2, speaking to women when he said women should dress modestly, respectably, appropriately. I'll address that when we get to 1 Timothy. Men, I know that it's kind of, kind of in and, and, and macho, kind of seen as macho, that we should seek to be outrageous, out of control, out of order, indecent, and immodest. Remember that series of movies that went around what was it, like jackass or whatever it was? People, men went and watched a bunch of men making idiots out of themselves. Totally stupid and out of control. We should pursue respectability. Well, that's only if we want to be godly. Fifth, next on the list, personal qualifications, we should not be addicted to wine. Interesting wording. It doesn't frankly speak of temperance or, or total abstinence, being a teetotaler. Nothing wrong with that if that's a personal commitment that you have chosen. In fact, I would say that there are some people given to addictive lifestyles who should take a vow of total abstinence because they know that one drink leads to two drinks, leads to three drinks, should have nothing to do with it. The point here, though, is to avoid addiction to wine. And I would add alcoholic beverages or any other substance under which you can come in control. In order to be godly men, we cannot be addicted to drugs or alcohol. We can't be drunks or addicts. Men, listen up. I'm going to say something very seriously. If you need a beer or two or three, every day when you get home from work just to unwind, you need to stop. 
That is an unnecessary addiction. We must pursue moderation in all things. We don't want to be filled with wine. We don't want to be filled with, controlled by any things like drugs or alcohol, we want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We want Him to fill us and to control us. And that takes, that takes conscious, daily, intentional surrender. You can't put that on autopilot. Conscious, daily, intentional surrender. Next, godly men are to be free from the love of money. Please notice, he said free from the love of money, not free from money. Early church kind of messed this up. They would take vows of poverty. They just thought that you were more spiritual the poorer you were. And that's not what he's saying. Money is in itself amoral. It is neither good nor bad. And the truth is, in our society, we need money for forms of buying and selling, to conduct business. Uh, other ways, make trades, barter, whatever. Um, fine. There's nothing wrong with with the money that's in your wallet. It is the love of money that's the problem. And in chapter 6, Paul says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Then he goes on to talk about men who have who have who are committed to or in love with money, who have plunged themselves into all kinds of personal ruin. We cannot love money or material possessions or the symbols of success, buying a car you can't afford because it's a symbol, or ambition or power. That is not to be our pursuit. To be godly, money cannot control us. Now, let me listen, listen to me very carefully. The way you handle money is a spiritual issue. If your personal finances are out of control, if you've got tons of personal debt that you cannot afford, that is wrong. You need, that is a love of money. That is a love of buying things you cannot afford. You need to be free, men. Men, free from the love of money. Move to family life qualifications. Father's Day stuff. First has to do, first has to do with my relationship with my wife. To be godly, men, we are to be the husband of one wife. This is one of those very controversial ones that I'll say for our study in 1 Timothy. But a literal translation, you need to know this. A literal translation of this is you need to be a one-woman man. To be godly, we are to be a one-woman man. Big discussion, big controversy about this is can an elder be single? You know, does he have to have a woman? Or, 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 can, or can an elder be divorced? I'm going to get that later. The point is, men, to be godly, we must be faithfully and passionately committed to one woman. One. Certainly that means no polygamy. You can't be married to more than one woman at a time. That's even against the law. But more than that, to be godly, you must be committed to one woman only. Maritally, faithfully morally. That means a godly man has eyes only for one 
woman, his wife. Obviously, that means no pornography, no inappropriate relationships with another woman. Listen to me. I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble here. I feel very strongly about this. If you disagree, then you take fire in your lap and see if you can do it without getting burned. I don't think, I don't think that a man, a married man, has any business having another woman besides his wife as a close personal friend, one of his best friends. That is just dangerous. Now, my wife and I have lots of very close couple friends, or a few very close couple friends. And I am friends with the husband and the wife. And I like the wife. I tolerate the wife. But I... I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I like, I like Beth Cheshire. But Doug is my friend. And when we're together, he's my friend. And my wife is friends with Beth. And I don't call Beth one of my best friends. That's just, that's just dangerous. If I have an issue, I call Doug like all of you do. <laughs> no pornography, no inappropriate relationship with another woman. Listen to me. No flirting. I know we live in a society that thinks that's just fun. It's dangerous. It's inappropriate. Men, no flirting. We are seeking to be above reproach. So in my relationship with other women, I seek Holiness and purity, never giving anyone cause or pause to question. To look at me and go, hmm, that was interesting. That's the negative side of the quality, no other women. But the positive side of the quality means I am faithfully and fully committed to my wife. She used to be the apple of my eye, the wife of my youth. Yes, she is. And the mother of my children. I am to be deeply and passionately committed to her. To be a godly leader in my home means I am a one-woman man. And for me, her name is Tana. Who is it for you? Verse 4. To be godly, I must be one who manages my own household well. To manage our households means that there is proper order. Again, we need to have this idea of balance. We don't want... Chaos on the one hand, if, if there is chaos in your home, that's a spiritual issue. And then we don't want to be a dictator on the other side. There is order as a result of proper attention and care. Very interesting. Um, in verse 5, speaking of the elder, Paul says, if a man does not know how to manage his household, how will he, notice the word he uses for manage, take care of. He substitutes that, the church of God. So the idea is proper, balanced, careful oversight. Men, this takes presence, and not with a T, it takes your presence and it takes your time. You cannot, we cannot abdicate our family responsibilities to our wives and call that managing the household. Like I get to be the CEO, but she's the COO. We must be present, we must be focused, we must be intentional, we must be balanced. Such that, next family qualification, we must keep our children under control with all dignity. 
with all respect is the idea. Again, if your children are disrespectful and out of control, I'm talking about your children who are in your home. If they are disrespectful and out of control, that's a spiritual issue for you. Men. This speaks of having children who are obedient. I've said this before. King Edward VIII of England, when he was still the Prince of Wales, once said after visiting the United States that the thing that impressed him most about America is the way that parents obey their children. Men, it is our responsibility to manage our households and to train and teach our children. They are not to be running the family. They are not to be the center of attention. That belongs to Christ. I believe that we have become a bit imbalanced in this respect. In many families, children rule the roost. Everything revolves around them. Christ is to be the center. Even our children, even our families are to revolve around Him and our obedience and honor and commitment to Christ. Quickly to community qualifications. I'm going to go th- buzz through these last two very quickly. Or these last two <laughs> community and Christian qualifications. Whether, community qualifications, whether that community is the Christian community or outside the community, these are qualities seen in relationship with other people. So, w- with other people. To be godly men, we must seek first to be not pugnacious. I like that word. To be pugnacious is to be combative, to be violent. And it's, it's very interesting. It speaks of being violently defensive, of having this kind of aura about you. Don't mess with him. Don't cross him. You'll get yours. I know that's the stuff of movies. Godly men are... Not to be violent or combative, but rather gentle or reasonable. That's the next qualification on the list. We seek in a world that promotes pride and ambition and arrogance, we seek meekness, we seek gentleness, we seek humility. This word actually carries with it this idea of foregoing personal rights. This man doesn't even fight for what is due him. He is gentle. He is meek. Next, he is peaceable. Again, the opposite of pugnacious. He's a man of peace. He's not contentious. He's not quarrelsome. He's not wearing the proverbial chip on his shoulder, always looking to pick a fight. And again, he's not looking out for his own rights. Godly men, we seek peace. Which leads to the next one. To be godly, we must be hospitable. That is incredibly interesting to me. Men, we must be hospitable. The word literally speaks of showing care, concern, even love for strangers. It speaks of having strangers in your home for the purpose of feeding and clothing them. And you sit there and you go, wait a minute, that's a woman's job. No, it isn't. Far from the love of money and possessions, a godly man holds those loosely and shares his things openly. He cares for people and demonstrates that care. Listen, men, demonstrates that care with an open home and an open wallet. 
Last on the list, he has a good reputation with those outside the church. In other words, he's not a hypocrite. He's a man of integrity. He doesn't show up Sunday morning singing songs of worship, opening a Bible, appearing holy, but is a completely different person at work or at home. He has a good reputation. doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you. They didn't like Daniel. But it does mean there's no ground of charge for accusation against you. You have a good reputation. You are a man of integrity, a man of consistency. You are a man of your word. That's to be a, a good reputation, which brings us to the last two characteristics. That, with respect to the Christian faith. Now, at first glance, uh, these, of course, apply to the elder. But I believe that we can make application to a father and a husband, the leader of his own household. First, the elder is not to be a new convert. That makes sense. You don't appoint a new Christian to a position of spiritual leadership in the church. Wait, let's just say that in your family, your husband or your father are new to the faith. They've only been a Christian for a year. Does that mean that you then abdicate your role to be the spiritual leader in your home? No. You don't have a choice. So what do you do? You you make every effort to catch up, as it were, to grow in your faith so that you can ably and rightly and spiritually lead your home. It is often true, unfortunately, that many wives and even some children outstrip their husbands and fathers as it relates to the faith. Many men make the excuse that they're so busy with work and providing for their family and other responsibilities, they don't have time. I have, through the years, had, had couples sit in my office where men sheep, sheepishly admit that their wives are more spiritual, at which point I look at the woman and say, you may go, I don't need you anymore. I'm not saying that this is a competition, but men, we should seek to grow spiritually to the place that we can lead our families. Yes, I know you have lots of responsibilities to lead your family or to provide for your family. I know there are many demands for your attention, many responsibilities to, to lead But you need to lead your family spiritually. Even if you are a new Christian, your wife has been a believer for decades, you must still lead, and ladies, you must let him. Humbly, gently, graciously, and spiritually. This leads to the very last one. Very quickly, I'm done. The elder must must be able to teach. Now, there are lots of ways to teach outside of what I do on Sunday mornings or maybe in a life group or in youth group or in Sunday school classes. The same is also true for spiritual leaders in, their, in your home. The father, the husband, can lead by lead or can teach, I mean, by leading family devotions. He can teach by speaking truth into his family's life. He can teach by example. As he pursues these qualifications and seeks to live them out with his family, we remember that the saying is true, more is often caught than is taught. So, there you have it. These are some godly qualifications to pursue as you seek to be fully devoted followers of Christ as husbands, fathers, and men who lead. In the church, certainly 
but in your own household as well. Let's stand for prayer. Father, I, I know that, again, as I said earlier, it's a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, lots of information there, and, and uh, 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 maybe even a bit overwhelming. But my prayer for, very specifically for the men, young men, boys even, gathered in this room, is that they would have heard one or two things that they can latch onto. They say, that's what I, I need to work on that. I'm, I'm a little bit combative. I don't, I don't seek peace. Sometimes I'm out of control. Sometimes I, I drink too much. So, so, sometimes I'm not, a, I'm not above reproach. These are all areas that require diligent and faithful attention. My prayer for us is that you would make us godly men. In Christ's name, amen.